Yeah, this started, I think, about early January. I think I was sitting in Katie's office talking, and I was, I was talking about kind of our responsibilities as far as worship and being ready uh, to worship. And she right away asked me, I've got an open spot on January 8th. Can you share? <laughs> of course, I didn't have any well thought out, anything well thought out at that point. It was just a, my thought, you know, that um, so that forced me to actually get down on paper what the process that I've developed kind of unintentionally, mostly. Um, so and it's basically, it's really listening better, and this is how I, how I do it. Um, my starting point for understanding the purpose of the sermon and the entire worship service actually was, um, came at a church service in New Jersey where I grew up. And I said to a friend um, that I gained, I learned nothing new from the sermon. And of course, he gave me a, this look, and um, he said, uh, he pointed out uh, gently, I'll say, that, um, that this was not an academic exercise, that this was um, an opportunity to be transformed by the Word of God. And of course, there was more, much more to that conversation than just that, but that was the gist of it. And uh, he put me in my place, very, like I said, very gently. There are two thoughts I want to uh, start with. The first is a, uh, I've heard some version of this quote over the, over the years several times, and uh, that is, preachers should prepare well and hone their presenting skills to preach meaningful, engaging, and applicable sermons. The Bible is not boring, and sermons shouldn't be either. Well, that's obviously a true statement. Uh, unfortunately, we sometimes blame the preacher for um, when we failed to do our part uh, in, in to arrive ready and willing and able to hear what God is for us that day. I'll talk more about that in a minute. My second thought is the rest of the service is not simply a prelude uh, to the sermon. Uh, I've had friends in the past who firmly believed that, uh, that it was. God can speak and does speak to us at any time during the service. There have been many times where God has spoken to me or touched me in the lyrics of a, of a song or a, prayer, or a heartfelt prayer or sometimes just in silence. I think he often speaks in a special way when his people are gathered together, which is the importance of us being together um, as often as we can. And now I'm just going to share with you some things that I found helpful None of which I do perfectly, by the way. Uh, so, you know, as you as you watch me, please, ho hopefully, don't you won't you won't be judge me too harshly in the in the future. Uh, the first thing is pre-service. As much as possible, I try to protect my Sunday morning uh, by removing distractions that make it hard to arrive ready for what's to come. For people like me who don't always change gears quickly, this is really important, especially important. That doesn't mean you can eliminate all distractions before you come. I think we just, we just, if we just give up and say we can't be perfect or do that perfectly, then we just, you know, we haven't done our duty. Uh, that's a problem, obviously, if you have kids as well. One of the things that was helpful to Margaret and I when we had kids who were young and, and growing was to have a routine. Uh, we did the same things, not, not always during the week, but uh, which were kind of hectic, but Sunday mornings we tried to keep the same 
same routine, uh, as few things as possible. Second thing I do is pray that the Holy Spirit helps me fight off the distraction to open my eyes and to give me a willing heart to respond to him. The third thing I like to do, um, whether I'm serving or not, is arrive early. And, of course, that's another thing that um, is not always easy to do, but it is worth it. To uh, families with kids, I can say that we are, we harbor, are here for you. Know that if you arrive at 9.45, we're ready to welcome your kids to Kids Harbor or to HSM so you can just sit for a few minutes and, uh, and relax before the service. During the service, um, some people can hear and remember everything. That's not me. I'm big on note-taking. Uh, taking notes helps me remember what I'm, and process what I'm hearing, but it also helps me afterward to remind me what I heard, what I felt in the moment, and what God says to me during the service. My notes also include the verses shared during the service so that I can go back later and read passages and read, really absorb them in a way that I might not on Sunday morning. I'm a little slow sometimes, so I need, I need the extra time <laughs> to mull things over. The second thing I do, um, try to do during the service, is I don't expect uh, life-changing revelation from every sermon. I think that's a recipe for failure. The things that I learned often are not groundbreaking, and they, but they might generate a change in me, or the change in the way I think about God and the way I think about and deal with other people. After the service and during the week, I'm still not done. I uh, think over what I've seen and heard and let it, try to let it make a difference going forward. Uh, one thing I try to do is share what I've heard with others. For more than four decades, the person I shared the most with is my wife, Margaret. Um, she was at every service I was at. It was easy for us to kind of really, you know, um, digest what happened in the entire service together. And, uh, of course, she always had some great insights. You can also, though, share with a friend. You can share with your group. I have an advantage because that's my Wednesday night group is all about the service, and I'm part of a group that has people who are not willing to ask questions that they might feel like are stupid. They're willing to recognize that they may not know everything. And um, we just, I feel like it's a really open and honest place to share what you've heard in the sermon and also to share your questions about what happened. Uh, we've gotten into some pretty, gone off the topic a little bit sometimes with some pretty deep discussions about, about uh, the Christian life. Um, the one thing that I haven't uh, really done well, is to use uh, what I've heard to generate a conversation with people that I encounter. I'm still working on it. I'm often amazed, though, by the insights I gain from others who's, who heard the same message, and then they pull out a nugget that I just totally missed. And fi finally, often I come away with a little, a little nugget, something that helps me understand things about my everyday relationship with God, or with those around me. These are small things that make a big difference in my life. There have been some bombshells, too, though. 
uh, like the times where my marriage wasn't the good in the good place that I thought it was. These were eye openers, but we got through them and actually were stronger uh, for it because we listened uh, to what God was telling us. So uh, to finish up, this is what I found helpful. I hope uh, it's been helpful for some of you. Uh, thanks. Bob, thanks so much for sharing. Um, I'm so grateful for older siblings in the faith who've gone where I haven't gone yet. I hope that was helpful for you. Um, What are you supposed to be doing when Katie's up here just talking at you every Sunday? Are you just like supposed to wait for something that, you know, makes you laugh or something? So I hope uh, the way Bob approaches this time during the sermon, I found really helpful when we talked about it in December. Um, And I hope that's been helpful for you if you're somebody who hasn't quite known how do we engage with this sermon time. I hope that's helpful for you. Um, That's also why, by the way, we offer note sheets every week. Um, It's so you can have something to write something down on. We also have some Harbor journals around here. Um, If you want just a journal to take notes in to keep with you every week, um, I'll send you to Trish, and Trish, I'll make sure you have some of those at the end of the service so people can come to you. Um, We also have Bibles back there. If you don't have your own Bible, we want you to have your own to call your own. So... um, but yes, um, the submission of God, um, of our, ourselves to the work of God in our lives, as Bob was talking about, that's what's at the root of the passage we're going to be reading today. Um, as Danielle mentioned, we're going to be starting a new series today on the parables of Jesus. Jesus often spoke to people in parables as he taught. And today we're going to be in the parable of the sower. It's such a great place to start because in between this parable and its interpretation, Matthew, the book of Matthew, records a conversation that Jesus had with the disciples about why he speaks in parables. So if you don't know, let's start with what a parable is. A parable is just a story with a point. It's a story with a point. That's what the parables are. A parable, as Jesus told them, tells a story about something his audience would understand in order to help them grasp a concept or a truth that he wanted them to know. So over uh, the next seven Sundays, we're going to look at seven parables Jesus told, seven stories with a point that Jesus told about what life in God's kingdom is supposed to look like. So today's parable, like the other six that we're going to study, it has a point. And just to be very nice, I'm going to tell you the point up front so you don't have to wonder till the end what is the point. So are you ready? The parable of the sower, the point of the parable of the sower is this. Participation in God's kingdom requires transformation by God's word. Participation in God's kingdom requires transformation by God's word. So the point of the parable of the sower is that if you want to participate in all of the good and all of the beauty that is the kingdom of God, you must submit to being transformed by the word of God. That's the point Jesus is making in this parable. So let's read the parable. We're going to start in Matthew 13, verse 1. That'll be up on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bible, or if you have a Bible app. Um, Let's start reading right now. Um, Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. 
And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell along among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So, Jesus, he's in a boat, he's speaking to the people. There's actually a cove on the Sea of Galilee that they've named the Cove of the Sower, because they think that's where this might have taken place. Uh, The acoustics of the landscape there make it so that someone sitting in a boat could speak to like thousands of people on the surrounding hillside of the cove. So Jesus might have been sitting right there. This might have been his view over on the right as he spoke this parable to the people. From his seat in the boat, Jesus decides to tell a story. He tells a parable about a farmer planting his seed. He's telling a story that will make sense to his audience. In an agricultural economy, most of his audience would know about seeds, about planting seeds. They would know that a seed on a path would be more likely eaten by a bird than grow up to produce a plant. They would know that rocky soil wouldn't lead to long-term growth. They would know how dangerous weeds were to the healthy growth of a plant. They would know that to produce a healthy, bountiful crop, they would have to tend their seeds carefully, plant them in the right place, remove obstacles like rocks and weeds, give them water. All of these word pictures made sense to them. Yes, Jesus, that is how a crop would grow. And then Jesus ends this parable with, whoever has ears, let them hear. Mic drop, Jesus out. (laughs) What a nice story. Even with kind of a confusing ending, hear what, Jesus? How to grow a crop? Yeah, we, we, we know that. We're farmers. <laughs> now, the disciples must have been confused, as they often were, by this choice of story as well, because the very next verse says that after he was done speaking to the big crowd, his disciples had a question for him. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you tell stories to the crowd instead of just saying what you mean, telling them what they should do? And Jesus responds in kind of a confusing way. Starting in verse 11, let's read together in verse 11. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So, 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three books of the Bible, they all record the parable of the sower and an interpretation of the parable. Jesus doesn't interpret all of the parables that he tells, but all three gospels, those first three gospels, have the story of the sower and the interpretation. And all three gospels have some version of this conversation in the middle that he has with the disciples. All three gospels, he answers their question by quoting from Isaiah 6, which was in verses 14 and 15 um, in this chapter. So he quotes from Isaiah. So the disciples ask Jesus, why parables? And Jesus responds with a whole bunch of stuff about hearing and seeing and not hearing and not seeing and understanding and perceiving. And at first glance, it kind of sounds like he's saying that only certain special people get to understand the parables or anything else Jesus says. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you and not to them. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. It almost sounds at first glance like Jesus is saying that some people are on the inside and they get to understand. While some people are on the outside and they're just not going to get to understand. It almost sounds like he's saying he tells parables so that no one but his special favorites get to understand. But there might just be more going on. Let's talk about what Jesus says the parable means, and then we'll come back to this question of why parables. So let's keep reading in verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. If you've heard this parable before, you know this is how it goes. The different types of seeds stand for different types of people and their interaction with God's word. And just as all four of those types of people existed in Jesus' day, they exist now with us. There are some for whom there is just some kind of block between them and God. Jesus says here that for some people, the evil one is actively snatching away their opportunities, not just to hear God's word, but to understand God, to know God. And so they might hear a Bible verse or meet someone who shows God's love to them, but they are just not capable of receiving it in any meaningful way. Then there are some who hear about the love and the grace and the welcome of Jesus and run happily to that. But their relationship with Jesus never goes deeper than that first emotional high. They had a great moment at camp or at church or listening to a sermon online, but that was kind of it. They never really grew deeper in him, never learned more about him, never submitted more of their lives to him. And so when something else gave them an emotional high, something else became more interesting, they moved on to the next thing. Then Jesus says that there are those who seem to be growing deeper in their faith, seem to be connected to God, who sort of 
gradually die away because of the concerns of the world. Jesus says here that both trouble and blessing can cause people's faith to die out. The heavy burdens that come with poverty and oppression can squeeze out someone's ability to stay focused on God and his kingdom. And the comfort, security, and self-sufficiency of wealth can squeeze out someone's ability to focus on God and his kingdom. God will not share his throne with our desires for comfort or for wealth. That's why Jesus said it's so hard to be wealthy and participate in God's kingdom at the same time. That's why the rich young ruler went away sad in Matthew 19, because Jesus asked him to get honest about what he wanted. Did he really want God's kingdom, or did he want his wealth? And the young man realized that in truth, he wanted to keep his stuff, his comfortable life, his security, more than he wanted God's kingdom. The rich young ruler had to be honest that God's kingdom wasn't his whole life. It was just a nice addition to what was already a very pleasant and comfortable life. So finally, Jesus says that the seed that falls on good soil, the the seed that produces abundant fruit, is the person who hears God's word and understands it. Jesus used the word understand five times in this chapter. Five times Jesus talks about understanding and those who understand. Listen, we tend to think that understanding something is intellectual comprehension of, of a concept. So we think that understanding is reserved for those who have been gifted intellectually. You with me? But that's not the word understand means in the Bible. In the Bible, the word understand means to deeply internalize something. To allow what you've understood to change what you say, what you do, how you live. Understanding in the Bible is not about intellectual comprehension. Understanding in the Bible is a posture. Understanding is an attitude of the heart toward God and his word. Understanding in the Bible means to be transformed by God's word. So the seed that fell on good soil is the person who allows God's word to enter into their soul on a deep level. The person who has postured their heart in submission to the authority of God and his word to be that which defines their life. The person who allows themselves to be transformed by God's word and who runs after God's kingdom with everything they have. That's what we said the point of this parable was, right? Participation in God's kingdom requires transformation by God's word. So in telling this parable, Jesus was exhorting his disciples and his followers to be people who will submit to God's word and be transformed by it. In telling this parable, Jesus was challenging his disciples to be people who would remain so focused on God and his kingdom that it would change absolutely everything about them. So back to this question of why parables. Was Jesus saying he told parables in order to make it hard for people to understand? There's a couple reasons I don't think that's the case. (laughs) 
First, if we look back at the parable itself as it's told in verses 1 through 9, the focus of the parable is on the sower. The sower is an illustration of God, sowing the seed of his word everywhere, on the road, in the rocks, in the good soil. It's almost wasteful, right? Jesus' audience knew that seed wouldn't grow on the path. It would be eaten by whatever animal saw it first. But still, the sower sowed. In the same way, right, God scatters his word freely. He reveals himself all over the world to all of us in hundreds and thousands of different ways. Paul says in Romans 1.20 that God has been revealed to everyone in nature. Isaiah says that the glory of God will be revealed to all mankind. 1 John says that Jesus came to die for the sins of the whole world. God's heart is the salvation of all mankind. So to tell parables in order to make it hard for some to understand would be outside the consistent character of God revealed through the Bible. The second reason I don't think Jesus is saying that he tells parables to confuse people here is because of his focus on the interpretation of the parable in verses 18 to 23. Although the parable itself is focused on the widespread scattering of the seed by the sower, the interpretation Jesus gives is focused elsewhere on the seeds themselves. The parable Jesus tells and interprets around this conversation with the disciples seems to be about how people will respond to the word of God, how people will interact with the sowing of God's word, what choice people will make about their interactions with God and his word. A third clue for us about why Jesus told parables is found in verse 9 in the phrase he used at the end of his telling of this parable. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now to you and me, that just sounds like kind of a weird thing to say, but the verse is actually adapted from Ezekiel, the Old Testament book of Ezekiel in, verse, in 3 verse 27. That verse is, as the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel is telling the story of what God had asked him to do. That verse says, God's speaking here, but when I speak to you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Whoever will listen, let them listen, and whoever will refuse, let them refuse, for there are a rebellious people. So the inclusion of this verse, as well as the verses from Isaiah, they're not saying that Jesus is going to make it hard for people to understand. He's saying that understanding is a posture of the heart, and some people don't want that. They don't want to understand Jesus is saying that he tells parables in order to give people another way to understand, to do everything he can to help people get it. Parables are open-ended. They invite a response. Parables give people space to consider what they might reject if it were just stated plainly. In Mark's telling of this story, he adds Jesus saying that things are hidden in order to be revealed. Jesus wants people to understand God's word. And understanding is not based on intellectual capacity, but on a humble heart that's postured towards God and his kingdom. This reminds me of the time my husband Jeremy told me a story. Um, Jeremy is an electrical engineer. I understand very little of what he does day to day. And Jeremy also loves to learn. And so when he was in engineering school, he loved to tell me about what he was learning. He still does. He loves to talk about what he's learning. 
Um, unfortunately, as I said, I'm not an engineer. And honestly, I'm kind of a bad wife sometimes when Jeremy wants to talk about engineering. I get a little bored, and I just sometimes don't want to listen. And so one time, Jeremy had learned about uh, something called oscillation, and I was just too tired to come along for the ride. Um, So he graciously gave me a pass on hearing about oscillation, Um, but then he asked, well, can I just tell you a story? And I said, sure, a story would be nice. So Jeremy proceeded to tell me a story about a bunny named Ferdinand who was driving down the road. Ferdinand had stayed out too late with friends. He was very tired, and so he noticed he was veering off to one side of the road. The bunny noticed this and moved the steering wheel back toward the middle of the road. Only because he was so tired, he noticed that he was starting to go too far to the other side of the road, so he had to overcorrect, and this happened all the way home, back and forth, the poor bunny having to just overcorrect and overcorrect and go back and forth. And this went on and on. And that, Jeremy proudly proclaimed at the end of the story, is oscillation. (laughs) I was both annoyed and really impressed (laughs) that he had found a way to tell me about oscillation without me realizing it. (laughs) That, my friends, is what parables are for. Jesus tells a story to help people understand what they, for some reason, were unable to understand before, what they didn't have the emotional capacity to wrap their heads around. That's why Jesus speaks in parables. So in his ministry, Jesus was like the sower, scattering seeds everywhere, talking to crowds in any way that he could possibly get them to understand, any way at all he can help them get it. That's God's word. That's the presence of God. It is everywhere. It is available. It is free for taking. Like the sower, God scatters evidence of himself and his presence absolutely everywhere on earth. Jesus, in telling this parable and in his conversation with his disciples, was pointing out that to participate in God's kingdom means to be transformed by God's word. And not everyone wants that. Some people want an emotional high Some people want comfort and security. Some people want control of their own life. Some people just want to have a good time. So the invitation of this parable is to consider, what do we want? What do we want? Do we really want to participate in God's kingdom? Or are we actually just after security or control? I heard this great definition of a disciple of Jesus recently, uh, that a disciple is someone who has done three things, who has decided to follow Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus, and who is committed to the mission of Jesus. A disciple is someone who's decided to follow Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is not an academic exercise. It's not an intellectual ascent with the things Jesus said. Being a disciple of Jesus is to be continually transformed by God's word and his work in your life as you chase his kingdom. Is that what you want? This parable invites us to consider which of the seeds we're like. 
And then it invites us to posture ourselves with humility toward God and his kingdom. So this morning, where are you? Have you ever made a decision that your life was going to be about God and his kingdom? Have you ever made that decision that you want Jesus to be your king? Not just the warm, fuzzy feeling on a bad day, but truly king of your life. Maybe that's the invitation for some of us today, to tell Jesus that we want him more than we want security, more than we want control of our own life. We want him most. Maybe you've never made that decision public. That's what baptism is all about. It's about declaring in front of your church community that you want to be a follower of Jesus, that you want to live for God and his kingdom. That's why we do baptisms. And so if you've never made that declaration in baptism, I'd love to get you baptized. You can write that as a note on the back of your Connect card. You can come find me out in the cafe after the service. I'd love to help you take that step. Maybe some of us have made that decision to follow Jesus, to give him our lives, but if we're honest, there are things in our lives that we're holding back from God. Areas of our life that we have a hard time honestly giving up to him. That's just reality, by the way, family. As Bob said, none of us are perfect at this. This is a long walk home toward Jesus the posture of our hearts that Jesus changes us all the time. That's the point of this parable, that every time we hear it, we're invited to give more and more of our lives over to Jesus. So if as you listen this morning, you realize there's something in your life you've been holding back from him, holding back and not giving him control, maybe you just need to hold that out to Jesus and say, I need your help. I need your help because I want you to be in control, but I'm having trouble letting go. Maybe some of us have treated our life in Christ as an academic exercise. We've learned a lot about what the Bible says. Maybe even we've studied the Greek or the Hebrew, but our hearts have not been in a posture of submission to what God says in the Bible. Maybe this morning your prayer needs to be one of asking Jesus to help you to not just intellectually know what he says, but to understand it, to let it invade the deepest part of your heart and transform you. In these next few minutes, the band's going to come up and play, and you'll have some time to reflect as we sing. So what is it God is inviting you to hand over to him this morning? Spend some time telling him about it, and then when you're ready, come receive communion here at the front. The symbols of Jesus' blood and his body, these reminders of how Jesus submitted to God's plan in the most remarkable way, that he died to forgive us, to make a way for us to come close to God. So I'm going to pray, and then during the song, you can take your time to reflect, to talk to God, to come up and take communion. Let me pray. God, thank you that you are like that sower, that you give us so many opportunities to hear from you, to see you. This morning, we're all here confessing that um, we want to grow in our posture of understanding. We want to become more and more people who are changed by what you say, who submit our lives to you, to your kingdom, to the way you say things are supposed to work in your kingdom. So Holy Spirit, I, we know that you're at work. And so we ask now that you would help each of us to turn towards you in the ways that you're inviting us in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.